I'm someone who loves trying out different makeup looks, but doesn't really wear much on a daily basis, so I like to focus on making sure I have high-quality staples. And whether you like a fresh face, full glam, or somewhere in between, you've probably seen Thrive Cosmetics Viral Tubing Mascara. I've certainly seen it everywhere. You know, the one in the turquoise tube? So that mascara, along with all of Thrive Cosmetics beauty products, are certified 100% vegan and cruelty-free, which I look for in makeup, and they've got excellent quality to match. And something I didn't know from all the mascara videos I've seen is that for every product sold, Thrive Cosmetics donates either that same product, another product that is needed more, or a monetary donation. They've worked with over 500 nonprofits to help with a wide range of causes like supporting cancer survivors, people experiencing homelessness, education access, and so much more. Knowing that makes me feel even better about using their products. And I do enjoy using them. Like I said, I like having high quality staples, and so my favorites are products that are multi-purpose, like the Brilliant Eye Brightener. It comes in a bunch of colors, and I like using them as eyeliner, eyeshadow, and even highlighter. Thrive Cosmetics is luxury beauty that gives back. Right now, you can get an exclusive 20% off your first order at thrivecosmetics.com slash thrive. That's Thrive Cosmetics, C-A-U-S-E-M-E-T-I-C-S, dot com slash thrive for 20% off your first order. Hey there. Ever wonder what happens to all those amazing screenplays that never make it to the big screen? Wonder no more. Welcome to Table Read Podcast, where we bring those undiscovered gems to life. Picture this. Talented actors giving incredible performances with the occasional laugh or blooper thrown in, produced by award-winning pros. From drama to comedy, TV pilots to feature films, there's something for everyone. And guess what? We release new episodes every week, so don't forget to hit that subscribe button. Table Read Podcast, where great stories finally get their chance to shine. There was also Girls Are Smarter, a woman versus men competition, <laughs> and one of my favorites, which I'm going to play for you, Trashy Ladies shares look at influential but unorthodox women in history. Oh my god. This show sounds incredible. It is. That's why this episode had to only be about this show because <laughs> it's underrepresented. Not enough people know about how cool it was. Hi, I'm Chanti. And I'm Lynx. And you're listening to Muses. Enjoy the show. Hi, everyone. Welcome back to Muses, the podcast all about the women, the wives, the groupies, the rock stars, the backstage movers and shakers. And this episode, we're going to talk about a lot of backstage movers and shakers. I am so excited for this. You've been mentioning that you were going to do this one for a couple weeks now, and um, I love I love her so much. So I'm very, very pumped. And it sounds like this is going to be a little different. It is. I'm going to be talking about Cher today. And instead of giving you a total recap of Cher's decades and decades of years on Earth, we're going to take really look at a snapshot in her life and see how that was significant to her career and how it was really influential and ahead of its time and really well done and really cool and what that is is 1975 when Cher did her solo variety show 
called Share. Ah, this is amazing. Um, Share's just like the most incredible woman too. Me and my friends um, were constantly sending each other clips of Share saying these things that like, you're like, yes, yes, I love it. I love her. Mm-hmm. So I don't know much about her time and like, I know that she did the rea- uh, variety shows and everything, but right. yeah, I don't know much about her in this at this point in her life. Cool. And when I looked up this period, like the Wikipedia page for it is tiny. Yeah. But there's so much that went into it. There was so much that went into this time, this year, the guests, everything that we'll get into. And we'll talk a little bit about how she got there and then wrap it up. But there's definitely enough to just talk about this variety show and the people who played a role in it, the team that worked on it. And then once we see some clips and talk about some of the guests and the segments, we'll see how it really was ahead of its time. And I don't think there's ever been anything like it on TV before and since. Amazing. Okay. I'm so pumped. Let me hear it. Okay, cool. The book I read for this episode is called Share Strong Enough by Josiah Howard. And then just to round it out a little bit, I watched Share, Life in the Spotlight, which is a documentary that came out, it seems, in October of 2020, and I watched that on Amazon Prime. Nice. Yeah. So the reason for this book was to shed light on the underexamined period of performance before Share became the Academy Award-winning actress. So Share, the variety show, was that's that's just what it was called was Share. Okay, let's talk about Cher's beginnings. Sherilyn Sarkisian was born May 20th, 1946 to Jackie Jean Crouch. Jackie was born in 1927 to a 13-year-old mother and a 17-year-old father. So Cher's grandmother was only 13 years old when she had Cher's mom. Wow. Yeah. Their ancestry was French, English, and Cherokee. Jackie's parents split up when she was five, and she herself grew up with aspirations to be a performer. Jackie, Cher's mother, said home was one room, a hot plate, lice, and cold drafts. Mm. Their father, Roy, eventually moved them from Arkansas to Los Angeles. When Jackie was 17 years old, she took a trip with a friend to Fresno, California, where she met and married John Paul Sarkisian who was, I quote, a charismatic Armenian who made his living at various jobs, including harvesting and delivering seasonal produce like watermelons, auto shop manager, bartender, and hairdresser. Just did everything. The relationship was both loving and rocky, and it's public knowledge that Cher's mother considered having an abortion when she became pregnant with Cher as she was only 18 years old herself. Yeah. Did you see that? One of the later seasons of RuPaul's Drag Race where they interviewed Georgia and Jazz and it was resulting in a very And one of them asks about it. Yeah. And you're like, oh my God, how could you even think that this is... And it was like the first question out of the gate, I think, too. Just like so random and like, yeah, that was an uncomfortable interview to watch. (laughs) Yeah, it was. Well, she didn't. She gave birth to a baby girl named Cheryl Lynn, 
And since she was a huge fan of Lana Turner and Lana's daughter was named Cheryl, that's who, that's partly who Cheryl was named after. The second part, Lynn, was for Jackie's mother, Linda. Oh, cool. Cher was born in El Centro, California in 1946. And after having a baby with no stability in her marriage, Jackie left and traveled to Reno and divorced Johnny. Johnny was a truck driver with drug issues. Yeah. What's what's the right way to say substance that? Substance abuse with, issues? He was a truck driver with substance abuse issues. Jackie got married a few more times, three times before she was 21, in fact. Wow. Jackie says, I was raised in a time when you didn't go to bed with someone unless you married them. Yep. And so she had another daughter named Georgianne. Jackie moved the girls east and would spend time in, and the girls would spend time in a day and night care facility used mostly by single mothers who needed a place to put their children while they went out working. So she was performing under the name Georgia Holt, singing and performing in nightclubs. Nice. So one of the things that I noticed from the share documentary that I watched, which was, there were things I liked about it. It was an easy 57 minutes long, really well-rounded view of Cher's life from beginning to now. Uh, but they were very much like Cher grew up in orphanages and her mother abandoned her and the people at the foster home or, you know, whatever they wanted to call it. I got you. Said Cher's better off with us. Like really dramatic in a way that's like, hold on. This like young mother got out of a bad relationship and needed to go out and make money. And there were probably no other kind of services that allowed her childcare. So what did they expect her to do? It was very much like, The book painted it in a way that was like, it was basically like a state-run childcare. And yeah, it wasn't the easiest thing. And yes, Cher would wake up not knowing where she was. And oh, my mom's gone again. But she was a single mother who was working. So it's like, can we She's just trying to survive. Yeah, can we live a little bit? Exactly. That happens a lot. Yeah. So they moved around from home to home and Jackie, who will now call Georgia, made cameos on Lucy show and the adventures of Ozzie and Harriet. She was given the part in the movie Asphalt Jungle, playing the role as the blonde. But the Marilyn part, a new girl ended up replacing her. And that girl was Marilyn Monroe. So that was that role was originally given to Georgia, Cher's mother. Oh, my God. I had no idea. It's a great role. Marilyn's good in it, but I would have loved to have seen Georgia. Cher wanted to become a movie star, sharing the same dreams as her mother. They would get ice cream on Hollywood Boulevard and dream of their fame. By the time she was a teen, Cher's desire for fame was even stronger. She had notoriously wanted to be a movie star more than she wanted to be a singer, but Things happen the way they do, and Cher got her start as a singer, as a backup singer, in fact. Cher spent many nights dancing on the Sunset Strip, dropped out of high school. Not only was she nonconformist, but she also had dyslexia and a hard time focusing. And at 16 years old, Cher moved out of her mom's house with a friend and took jobs as a secretary, a counter girl, and... One day, she went on a double date with her roommate, and that's where she met Sonny Bono. Mm. 
they were actually supposed to be on the date with the opposite person. (laughs) (laughs) That's funny. It didn't work out that way, though. No. Cher says, when I first saw Sonny, everything around him got blurry and there was just him standing there all in black. I was totally blown away. Interesting. (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. We'll talk about (laughs) about him a little bit, like not a ton, but we will talk about him. Salvatore Philip Bono was born February 16th, 1935. So if we do the math, he was born in 35. She was 40 in 46. He was 11 years older than her. Yeah. Now, depending on what book you read, what documentary you watch, what you want to believe, all that stuff. Some people like to make the correlation between Cher's relationship with Sonny, the age difference to the tumultuous relationship that she had with her absent father. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah. I, I'm like, I'm not the first person to be like, daddy issues, because it's just like, it is what it is. Yeah. You know, a young girl in Hollywood finding someone older who is already kind of established. We've seen this happen many times before, whether or not it has anything to do with the father's presence exactly. in the life or not is for share to know, I guess, and for everyone else to speculate about, I guess. So Sonny w- grew up in Detroit, Michigan. His parents had had an arranged union. His mother only 14 when she was assigned into marriage with Sonny's father. Uh, I'm so glad we're past this point of our, I don't know how to put it, just knowing that this was like so common with so many of the people that we talk about on the podcast, like they, they had to grow up so quickly. Like they're still babies themselves. It's crazy. Exactly. So we won't get into details about Sonny's upbringing. We'll just say his father was a heavy drinker and we'll wrap it up by saying it wasn't a happy childhood. Yeah. Cher wasn't really vibing with the place she was living with her roommates. And soon after meeting Sonny, he invited her to move in with him. No funny business and no strings attached. One of the things that comes up a lot in Sonny and Cher's relationship, it seems, is that you know, Sonny would say, you can come and move in with me because I'm not that attracted to you. And that kind of stuff, he would say that over and over in their relationship and their marriage, as in like, you're just not that good looking, like really preyed on Cher's insecurities. Wow. I'm not really that into you. Jesus. You're not really that talented. Yeah. 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 All that kind of stuff. Oh, Cher had had a few sexual encounters slash relationships before Sunny. Her first one was very, let's get it over with. This guy's kind of bothering me, so I'll just do it and then leave me alone. And then the other one was someone who she said she was crazy in love with. He looked like Tom Selleck, except blonde and six foot four. And then other than that, you know, there was Sunny. Then came Sonny. At the time of meeting Cher, Sonny was separated from his wife and had a little daughter named Christy. So 11 years on somebody can really do that. He was selling songs to other artists, which made him semi-familiar in recording circles. And he eventually became a gopher for Phil Spector, keeping a close eye on how Phil worked and how he created records. There's definitely, I was going to say earlier, like a correlation between them two. For sure. 
it makes sense that he sort of was like maybe a, a bit of a mentor to him. Yes. And then we have the similarities between Ike and Tina. Yep. And Ronnie and Phil. Who exactly were all in meshed together in this world. They were all in this world. Like Tina and Ike, it was Cher who opened up opportunities for Sonny. He had dreams of a solo career, but of course, Cher was the one who possessed the qualities of superstardom that far outshone Sonny. Yeah, he got lucky. Right. The author of this book, Josiah, says, with Cher in his life, Sonny traded in his dreams of becoming a pop star for the dream of creating one. Yep. As we'll recall from Ronnie Spector's biography, Cher did backup vocals on the Ronettes' Be My Baby and other songs like Did You Run Run, You've Lost That Loving Feeling, to name a few. Love all of those ones. They're so good. Yeah, apparently, I don't know if it was the Ronettes one, but the backup singer had gotten stuck in traffic. And I guess Cher was just there. So they were like, jump on. That's so cool. I love stories like that where it's like just a random thing that gets you in the door type of thing. Right. So the Sunny and Cher craze produced five singles in the top 20, which was a feat equaled only by Elvis and the Beatles. Their albums were everywhere. And so this fame set Cher up to become the inevitable solo star that she would become. But this variety show came around 10 years after Sonny and Cher's skyrocket to fame with I Got You, Babe. With them riding high on that hit song, people were wondering if they'd become a one-hit wonder. They had been performing in stadiums after that song became a hit, but then after that kind of petered out, they were back into nightclubs and they performed two shows a night and often no one would show up to the second show. So to entertain themselves and the band, they would all chat between songs, joke around, and eventually people started coming to shows for the banter. Uh, That makes sense. Sonny and Cher were scouted by CBS and asked to create their own variety show with themselves as the stars. So the Sonny and Cher variety show was created. Yeah. One thing about Cher is it's like her personality that shines through. So she, she always had the banter. Yes. Speaking of that, Cher was extremely shy at first. She was self-conscious about her looks. She was self-conscious about her singing voice. And Sonny didn't really do much to help her get out of that because he was able to keep her in a level of, I think, control by having that under her. He was older. He took care of the business. She was naive. She didn't pay much attention to the finances. And he really ended up giving himself the majority of the proceeds where she didn't get much. So a lot of these things combined with a young woman growing into herself was of course, just reasons upon reasons. This relationship was never going to last. Yeah. He was manipulative. He cheated on her a whole bunch. What can we say? Is this a new story? No, it's (sighs) not. No. It's interesting because it's like, a lot of these men seem to have this like Svengali syndrome where like they want to be seen as this great puppet master, you know, turning this person into a star when really it's like that person has everything that's already in them and you're using them to get what you want. It's, it's not them 
that's using you, right? Yes. One of the things that I saw in the documentary was like Cher was never able to really voice her opinion to him. And he only did what was good for her if it was good for him. Yeah. And of course, there's, I assume, the fear there because they know I'm not the star. Cher's the star. So I have to be controlling enough to make sure she's here and stays because that's also my paycheck. Absolutely. And she had such bad stage fright at first that she only would look at him. She would banter with him and he would banter with the audience. So eventually she'd have to learn how to do that herself. But Sunny showed her how to do that. And later on, when she gave the eulogy at Sonny's funeral after he had been killed in a skiing accident, she really does say that she gives him credit for what he did for her career. So skipping ahead a little bit, they did do some professional reunions in the future and they did, it did seem like a little bit, whether it was just for show or if it was for like personal healing, they did work professionally after their marriage dissolved. And she was there giving that eulogy, this funeral that yeah. apparently was very moving. So. And at that point they had a child and everything too. Yeah, so. exactly. So Cher was very accustomed to appearing on TV her and Sunny had used TV as a tool and they used it well. They had a look that really stood out, her long hair, um, their multicolored bell bottoms and fur vests, very bohemian vibe, and people wanted to see them. People started emulating Cher, so she also started becoming a fashion icon as well. Uh, her outfits, her style is just perfection. Yes. And we'll get to that. <laughs> we'll we'll get to how that evolved and who and who played a big role in that as well. And then there was the birth of Chaz in 1969, and then from 1971 to 1974, then there was the Sunny and Share Comedy Hour, which had over 200 guests, such as the Supremes minus Diana Ross, the DeFranco family, Phyllis Diller, and 30 million people watching each week. Wow, that's a lot of people. Yes. Their marriage was breaking up as they were still recording their show. And mm -hmm. the audience in America didn't know. They felt very, I think, attached to them as a couple. But they were really parting ways before the show was even over. And you can start seeing real, really the tension between them and almost the meanness between them towards the end. Oh. But Cher was ready to do her own thing anyways she was releasing her own music gaining popularity with her hits like gypsies tramps and queens half breed and dark lady yeah she was starting to be nominated for awards breaking records wow good for her so i'm going to quote from the book Cher's televised musical output, as varied and eclectic as it may have been, was viewed by different people through different lenses. Cher's performances on the Sunny and Cher Comedy Hour are perfectly imperfect, says a sound technician who worked on the show. If you look at the old clips, the sound is abhorrent. It's 
a tinny TV sound, not recording studio sound. The background singers are there not to support Cher's vocals, but to cover up sound deficiencies, which include Cher's intonation problems as well as her missed notes. Sometimes when she drops to a lower register, you can't understand a word she's saying. That would never happen today. Today, there's auto-tune to correct wrong notes. The quality of sound in TV studios is seriously considered, and viewers' expectations are much, much higher. You can shop from anywhere doing pretty much anything. You might shop while working, eating, or even listening to this podcast. And however you shop, we all know and love the thrill of the hunt. But do you also know how to get the thrill of the best deals? Because Rakuten shoppers do. With Rakuten, they get the deals they love with the most savings and cash back. And you can get it too. Start getting cash back at your favorite stores like Sephora, Nike, and even Expedia if you're looking to get some travel in. And getting cash back doesn't mean you have to miss out on sales because those can just be stacked right on top. It's easy to use and based on a simple idea. Stores pay Rakuten for sending them shoppers, and Rakuten shares the money with you as cash back through PayPal or check. Download the free Rakuten app and never miss a deal. Or go to Rakuten.com to start getting the most bang for your buck. That's R-A-K-U-T-E-N. Contained herein are the heresies of Radolf Burntwine, erstwhile monk-turned-traveling medical investigator. Join me as I uncover the blasphemous truth of a plague-ridden world, that ours is not a loving God, and we are not its favored children. The Heresies of Radolf Buntwine, coming January 2nd, wherever podcasts are available. It's true. And, but that's like what makes her so good too, is that she has a unique sound and she might not be able to hit certain notes, but she, what she does have, she certainly makes work. Exactly. And I just like how if that might have debuted today it just or but with two different people it just wouldn't have worked but that was so new then and yeah like expectations were lower and so it was perfect and so I think people just accepted her for who she was as well the low register of the voice it was just everything yeah and I guess people also like appreciated like live music and things Mm -hmm. like that a little bit more now like people expect a super polished sound today because that's what unfortunately is produced in the studio but I like I like realness in my music you know which is funny because Cher is actually one of the people who's credited super auto-tuned later yeah yeah yeah, yeah, which is great which is great because she ended up reinventing herself as a robot which which (laughs) I love you know in her in the 80s oh god it's great she's great it's genius so in 1973 Cher started dating a guy (laughs) 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 which one my timelines are a bit blurred here, but this this one was a manager, talent scout, and businessman, David Geffen. Oh, yeah. He discovered Jackson Brown, who paid tribute to him in the Wizard of L.A. song, mm-hmm. discovered Crosby, Stills, Nash, and Young, and Joni Mitchell, who also wrote a song about him, Free Man in Paris. He was certainly influential. He was. A muse, you might say. He was. 
Cher and David connected in the most Hollywood way possible. It was 1973 at the opening night of the, at the Roxy nightclub. <laughs> he was considered Hollywood's golden boy, and this relationship served them both well. They had front row center seats at the 1974 Grammy Awards, even though she wasn't nominated for anything. And they ended up being placed sitting in front of Diana Ross and Ben Midler, who were nominated. Amazing. I love them both, too. Cher was appearing everywhere. You can think about that butterfly motif ensemble, long flowing hair, bare midriff. It's just absolute delicious to the press. She had that perfect body, too. Yeah. Ooh, oof. Hard to attain. Yeah, very <laughs> impossible. It's, it's impossible. I'm not even, like, I would never even attempt. Like, I just know. <laughs> I just want to admire. Sure, yes. Geffen took charge of Cher's new career. He took her on trips around the world. He encouraged her to renegotiate a bad contract with Sonny, which basically allowed him half the money she made and all her future earnings she made, even though they weren't making it together. Wow. Since she had signed the contract at such a young age, she had great lawyers. She had the best lawyers in the biz. They were basically saying that the defendants, like, you know, Sonny Bono, took advantage of the fact that she was young and unsophisticated in business matters. Clearly. Yes. Interesting to note that before Cher got her television variety show, Sunny secured one before she did. Oh, because of how course. did that go? Well, he signed yeah. to the ABC television network with the Sunny Comedy Review. Sunny's ex-wife, Susie Coelho, wrote a book, Secrets of a Style Diva, which she, and I quote, sang the praises of Sunny's virtues. <laughs> Okay. So that's interesting. That interesting. Yeah. His wife has a biography. I'm sure it'd be interesting. Oh, for sure. Yeah. Let's try to find it. So those were all the circumstances that led Cher into having her own variety show. So I felt like that kind of early beginnings were worth mentioning. I hope you feel the same way. Oh, for sure. All right. When asked to comment on the sunny comedy review this was Cher's assessment I didn't like it she told the New York Post I didn't think Bly and Beard gave him a fair shake they still did the Cher jokes on him they couldn't get going because they kept him under the weight of us Cher also revealed that as a sign of support she attended a taping she wanted to appear on the premiere episode of the show but CBS whom she was in a discreet negotiations with refused to let her Uh, that might have been good for both of them to just like See, we're still together as friends, but we're going to now part and do our own separate thing. Yes. So it only aired for 13 weeks. And it says, viewed today, Sunny's solo series holds up well enough. The comedy vignettes are fast moving and brief. The costumes and sets are outrageous, both theatrical and colorful. And just like the Sunny and Cher comedy hour, the program makes clever use of animation, graphics, and an upbeat musical soundtrack. But there is an ongoing problem. It is the decision to constantly belittle Sunny. Oh, interesting. Hmm. Here's the thing, too. At the end of the day, no one wanted to see Sunny without Cher. Yeah. And I guess him playing the sidekick to Cher makes sense. But 
to lead a show playing like the wimpy sidekick or whatever doesn't sound very appealing. Exactly. So Cher is living her life. And I just want to mention this birthday party that she threw for David Geffen that year. Among the guests included Bob Dylan, Robbie Robertson, Jack Nicholson, Ringo Starr, and which Hollywood playboy? Warren Beatty. He was there. He showed up. So that doesn't really have anything to do with this episode, <laughs> but it really does. And he's just always there. We should have a, a Warren Beatty merch. Like, <laughs> and which Hollywood playboy? Warren Beatty. I should just make a shirt that said, I fucked Warren Beatty. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, that would be a bestseller because literally every woman alive back then could purchase one and, you know, it'd be true. <laughs> yeah, it would be true. All right, put it in the shop. Okay, now let's get to the meat and potatoes. Let's talk about Cher's Variety Series with CBS that started in 1975. At first, it was going to be a rare 60-minute event, but to capitalize on her current hit, Dark Lady, they moved the production time up and began creating Cher. So they didn't make it the Cher show. They didn't call it the Cher comedy hour. It was just called Cher. The process kind of went like this. There would be a meeting with Cher and 17 men all talking over each other at one time. But at the end of the day, like the team was great. They had excellent writers and Cher always got to put her input in. That's good. Cher requested that her guests be special, not the same people showing up on the same variety shows week after week, because I guess in that year, like that kind of thing was a popular thing to see on TV. I would love to see that kind of thing brought back. Uh, Me too. Would I? Would I though? I don't know. Well, I'd love to see these reruns. Well, I mean, and that's the point, too, is that you can go and find a lot of this stuff on YouTube. And I think it's, yeah, better than anything. Because now I'm thinking, well, if it was done with, like, our modern day pop sensations, do I want to see that? Like, I don't like Saturday Night Live anymore. So actually, no, I don't. You can keep it. And this is why this is so perfect. It was just such a perfect moment in 1975. Exactly. So the network supplied Cher with her own custom-designed built-in trailer, and it was done up like a large large bedroom. (laughs) There was a bed made out of trees, like actual trees, rugs, pillows, prints everywhere, and everyone wanted to hang out there, especially the guest stars. Sounds cool. Cher had a two-page guest request list, and it was taken seriously. She wanted David Bowie, LaBelle, Greg Allman, and Jimmy Webb. All people the network had never heard of. She would perform old and new songs, and Chaz would only appear on special occasions. Gotcha. Cher had a huge list of advertisers that included Procter & Gamble and General Motors, who all paid up to $70,000 for a 60-second commercial. Wow. Revlon paid an additional fee for premier sponsorship, where Cher's photo and the Revlon logo would appear at the same time as the announcer told the audience, this portion of Cher has been brought to you by Revlon, the people who help make the world just a little bit more beautiful. (laughs) She was like super marketable. Mm -hmm. And the producers wanted to make it so so that Cher seemed more versatile, a bit more grown up, more self-assured and adventurous. So they gave her a monologue at the beginning of every show. 
Nice. And one of the things that they decided on that there would be no mention of Sunny. That was her past and this is her future. Good. There was only one other woman who wrote on the show besides Cher, and her name was Iris Rayner. So while the women were lacking on the writing side, we'll get into actually how a lot of women were employed on the show at the time, which was almost unheard of at the time. So it it does redeem itself a little bit in that way. Nice. Cher had a great team, including musical director Jimmy Dale and special music providers billy barnes and earl brown they made memorable music and songs for comedy sketches interludes and extended multi-part finales before it aired Cher told the los angeles times i can't say for sure that my show is going to be a hit or even that i'll be heartbroken if it's canceled but i can say that with all the great people i have working with me i'm sure it's not going to be bad oh she's so sweet Cher's costume designer is named, was named Bob Mackey, and they first met in 1968 on the set of The Carol Burnett Show. Bob is such a legend. Oh, my goodness. Love, 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 love everything he did. Exactly. I'm going to read. I'm going to quote from the book. At the time, Mackey was already a household name and Emmy winner for the TV special Diana Ross and the Supremes and the Temptations on Broadway. During rehearsals of the Carol Burnett show, I saw Cher admiring a piece of beadwork I'd done, Mackey recalled. She dolefully asked me, hey, could you do something like this for me someday, someday when I have some money? (laughs) Mackey's response was an immediate yes. With a keen eye for body types and proportions, Mackie was taken with Cher's broad shoulders, tiny waist, missing stomach, and flaring hips. It was he who wanted to dress her. Yeah, she really has that perfect body for a designer. She's like exactly what they go for on the especially by those standards in that yeah. time. Now that body doesn't exist anymore. Thank God. But I think in in terms of in wanting to love all bodies, like I want to love Cher's little itty bitty body too. Absolutely. I mean, you can't deny she looks good. No <laughs> so, one can deny that except Sunny. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Prick. So they would forever be linked. Cher's costumes were created at Los Angeles's Elizabeth Co- Courtney Costumes. This was created by Ray, and I'm going to botch this last name, Igean, who was the most prolific costume designers of the 60s and Mackie's designing partner and personal companion. Oh, nice. The budget for Cher's costumes was set at $5,000 per episode and eventually got extended to $30,000. Oh, my goodness. It was the biggest budget ever for a weekly variety show. Mackie said that designing for Cher was the most fun he'd ever have. Aww. Yeah. In 1979, Cher thanked Bob in a song called Outrageous. She sings, I don't trust anybody else's taste but Bob Mackie and me. Me neither. (laughs) Rhett Turner was uh, supposed to be the costume designer at first, but Bob came in because Cher had asked specifically for him. But I think he ended up playing a role anyways. So he said about Cher's outfits, people always say that Cher and particularly Cher's solo series was all about the costumes and wigs that Cher wore and that nothing else mattered. But there had to be someone wearing all those costume and wigs. And there had to be someone that could wear all those costume and wigs. 
without Cher's compliance and willingness to be different, to take chances, to be creative and daring, none of it could have happened. Absolutely. A dress is just a dress on a hanger. Right. Exactly. But on share, it's a spectacle. So what's great is that there are lots of clips and episodes, full 40 minute episodes on YouTube. So I'm going to play the intro to share show for you just to get an idea. Have you seen much of it at all? I've seen clips of her singing with guests and stuff, but that's about it. Not not all that much. I haven't seen the opening for it. Okay, so here's an example of one of the openings. Can you see it? I can see it. All right, so you just watched uh, the intro to one of Cher's shows. That's who the guests were that day. How would you describe that opening? Uh, Fantastic. It really shows you exactly the vibe and mood of what you're going to see. I love how many different characters that you see her playing and that she's having fun the whole time she's doing it. The big costume reveals the numbers. It just looks fabulous. It really does. Right. So good. I'm glad I wanted to show you that intro because it shows you just in a span of a few seconds or a minute, about 10 different costumes. So that's yeah. really going to get you in the frame of mind of how much went into this variety show week for week. So I would recommend anybody to just look up the intro. I can even link it into the show notes. So that would be easy. And those costumes are amazing. Her jumpsuits are like inc- uh, incredible. Right. One of the things that it mentions is that because of the heavy makeup that Cher had to wear a lot, um, maybe also it doesn't... They say she had poor eating habits. I don't know what she was eating or drinking at the time. Probably not a lot, unfortunately. Yeah. It caused her to break out a lot. And so sometimes it was even hard for them to cover that in makeup. So it's interesting that she was one of the first to do like an auto tune because there was filters on her show. So this Uh is a trick that they've used in old movies. So she wasn't the first one, but what they did was they, for the kit, the camera would um, do a trick where they'd film her with the camera lens at an eighth of an inch out of focus. Oh, interesting. Like a soft. Exactly. One of the cameramen had said for the show that it was like putting a gauze over the lens And it made her blemishes disappear and gave her a wonderful softness and ethereal quality. She certainly got that. Yeah. And so for the actual makeup and colors and stuff, Cher really called the shots. She would tell them how she wanted to look like she wanted multicolored eyelids or rhinestones in the corner of her eyes. She would have her hair trimmed and colored dark every three weeks. Oh, I didn't know she dyed her hair dark. Mm hmm. She had a wig maker, manicurious, and worked out four times a week. Wow. Renata Lauscher was the Hollywood wig maker to the stars, so we have to give credit to her. And she not only made the wigs for Cher, she actually helped Cher get into those wigs during costume change, and so Cher could put her own big thing of hair underneath those. (laughs) Yeah. Minnie Smith was the manicurist and even started a new trend with Cher because Cher wanted something different than everybody else. And so she was like, what the hell am I supposed to do with nails? And so instead of doing them round, she put them at a blunt tip. Trendsetter in so many ways I didn't know. So I'm going to quote from the book. 
With a body by Ron Fletcher, a face by Dan Eastman, makeup by Ben Nye II, eyelashes by Christina Smith, costumes by Bob Mackie, hair by Jim or- Ortel, wigs by Raina, and nails by Minnie Smith, the only thing left to cover was Cher's feet, and they were covered by Fred Slatton. So <laughs> I just think it was cool that this book is naming names, and it's giving credit, and it's it's yeah, it's just nice to learn the names of these creative people who also created this wonderful thing, this wonderful persona, these elaborate costumes, instead yeah. of just being like, it was all share or it was, do you know what I mean? Because it wasn't. There's so many players behind the scenes that we never get to see. And if they're doing their job right, that's part of it. Like they are supposed to be kind of the unknowns, but it is so great that people are getting the credit that they deserve for the hard work that they put in. Yeah, exactly. And so we have other people like Don Rio. He would write comedy sketches and material and they wanted Cher's variety show to be an escape from everyday life. They really wanted people to have a good time and to laugh. So Cher had created characters like Laverne, her leopard clad lady of the laundrette. (laughs) <laughs> and I'm going to read you uh, uh, about some of the characters here from the book. The most engaging character created for Cher was Cher as Cher in a segment called Saturday Night. The sketch supposedly offered up a mirror to Cher's own life and featured her returning home to a modestly furnished one-bedroom apartment. Speaking in the hip, talking vernacular of the day, lots of far outs, mans, and super cools, Cher discussed men, girlfriends, and the special challenge of being a single woman. Saturday night was so strong, so well-written, so comfortably delivered that watching the segment, which usually ran 10 to 15 minutes, was almost like watching a standalone situation comedy, a television show within a television show. The only thing on Cher that I can really take full credit for is coming up with that particular segment, recalls Digby Wolf. The Saturday night sketch turned out to be very, very successful for Cher. We were trying to think of a way for her to work as a monologuist to do stand-up, in other words, in a way that wasn't just a series of jokes like Letterman, Leno, or Carson. I don't mean to disparage those comedians or their particular technique because they are great too. With Cher, we were just trying to harness her natural talent for comedy under some kind of conceptual umbrella that allowed her to be the character that the audience already viewed her as. Yeah. Wow. Like 10 to 15 minute skits for like one piece. That is like impressive. Mm-hmm. And to keep it like the audience engaged that long. Absolutely. They filled the set for this with things that actually belonged to Cher. So things that were taken from her bedroom, like pillows, stuffed toys, pictures, And the segments were real, funny, and poignant. Cher really had a gift for comedy. Oh, I'm going to have to look these up. I hope I can find some of them. Okay, listen to this. You're going to love this. Other segments included the complaint department, where Cher played a tart-tongue, uninterested clerk at a busy department store, and Mabel's Fables, a twisted approach to to modern fairy tales. Cool. Mabel's Fables, a twisted approach to modern fairy tales. And Women Behind the Men, a salute to the wives of famous and infamous men. No way! Yeah, like Mrs. Longranger and Mrs. Sigmund Freud. Oh my god, I love it. There was also Girls Are Smarter, a woman versus men competition. (laughs) And one of my favorites, which I'm going to play for you, Trashy Ladies, shares look at influential but unorthodox women in history. Oh my god. 
This show sounds incredible. It is. That's why this episode had to only be about this show because <laughs> it's underrepresented. Not enough people know about how cool it was. So I'm going to play a clip for you. It's Sharon Bet Midler, Trashy Ladies Medley. Oh my God. What a duo as well. Okay. If you can't hear it, just let me know. It took a whole lot of women a whole lot of time to come just as far as they've come. Through their troubles and fears, they were brave pioneers. And we'd like to sing about some. Oh my god, that was magnificent. I know. Just a lady with a touch of trash. It's like the original nasty woman. It is. It totally is. Oh my god. And great choice to put Bet in for that as well. Oh. Oh my goodness. It's so, so good. And the costume. The costumes so are yeah, absolutely amazing. All right. I also love that you can tell how much fun they're having. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Trash ladies. That should be our new Muses theme song. I know. <laughs> All right. So for this, Cher worked out the choreography with Bet. Cher wasn't a great dancer, but she was great at moving her body. So things like this really worked for her. Yeah. So this is what clips like or segments like this and just this whole show in general. This is really how I feel about it. But George Schlatter, who also did the Judy Garland show, he really sums up the sentiment when he says, until Cher, women have been the joke, not done the joke. Yeah. She's the first female star to carry a show in the same way that men have, the first real woman of the 70s. Ah. She was, too. What a pioneer. Cher stood out even more because she was the only woman doing monologues at the beginning of the show. It was hard for her at first, but she eventually came to love it. Another thing that made Cher so special and unique at the time was that she employed a large number of women in significant behind-the-scenes roles. Good for Cher. Mm-hmm. Cher's assistant director, Manager, choreographer, grip, script person, director's assistant, producer's assistant, secretary, and interns were all female, a rarity at the time. And that doesn't happen by accident. Right. Good for sure. Of the show, Time Magazine called it mission accomplished, validating every person's role and hard work on the show. Cool. Sorry if you can hear Dale barking. He just woke up from a nap. No worries. So going back to George Slatter, he compares Cher's show to Judy's, saying that Judy's was shot like a live concert beginning to end, where Cher's elaborate costumes and makeups and hairstyles, it was stop and go, retakes, and then piecing together the best takes. Mm. In comparing Judy Garland and Cher, George says they were both 
these huge, gorgeous, talented, glamorous, exciting child women who love to play dress up. I viewed both of their shows as adult playpens in which it was my job to make sure they had the room and freedom to realize, expand upon, and act out all of their personal fantasies. Ah, sounds like such a great experience for a young person, a young creative who is, you know, making their mark. The first Native Shares recording backstage, there was David Geffen, Mackie, and in the front row sat her mother, Georgia, her sister, Chaz, and personal secretary, Paulette. Paulette's my grandma's name. Aww. Seating was at 6.15, taping was scheduled for 7 to 8.30 p.m., and on that first night, Cher didn't emerge until 8.45, two and a half hours after the audience had been seated. There were delays, and the audience thought they were going to see performances by Bette Midler and Elton John, but these had been taped previously during the week. But all in all, hiccups aside, they were off to the races. At the time, speaking of Elton John, he didn't perform much on television. Cher really wanted him on her show, so she, George George Schlatter, and head writer Digby Wolf went to one of his concerts and made a personal pitch for him to be on Cher. It worked. Bob Mackie created the look for Elton, and he performed Lucy in the Sky with Diamonds, a silver-studded rhinestone jacket, and a pair of tinted diamond glasses. You can... I was going to show the clip, but just go ahead and watch it. Now, can you please describe the elaborate outfit I was telling you about? Uh, I'll try. <laughs> well, at first, at first glimpse, I saw silver Christmas tree. Yeah. And at second glimpse, it's more silver Christmas tree meets spaceman. Yeah, so it's not he's not just wearing a jacket and sunglasses. He looks like a Christmas tree spaceman. Yeah. So But the, only he could pull that off. I know. <laughs> the book gets into detail about how the writers started, you know, the scripts get handed down, goes to share, and then from share goes to the costume designers. From them, it goes to the network, the sponsors, the agency, the guest stars, and the censors. It's a long list. Cher's Variety Show came in at number five in the Nielsen TV ratings, and later in the year it won an Emmy for Best Art Direction or Scenic Design. It was nominated in four more categories, Best Director, Best Costumes, Best Music Material, and Best Writing. Nice. At the time, Cher said, this has got to be the greatest transition period in my life. I don't know how it's going to work out, either personally or professionally, but it's the real turning point. What happened to me in what happens to me in the next few months is going to decide the direction my entire life takes. Wow. She knew, she knew it was like a pivotal moment in her life and career. Mm -hmm. But unfortunately Cher's career didn't go anywhere after this and we were never to hear from her again. (laughs) Yeah. Right. Imagine. It's funny because in the documentary they're like, and no matter how much the media and society kept trying to like tear Cher down because, you know, she's getting older and there's no place for her in the music industry. She refused and she kept getting back up and like, no matter how much the media told her, they didn't want her. (laughs) (laughs) No matter how badly we tried to get rid of her, she just kept coming back. So the crew worked a five-day work week from 10 in the morning until whenever they were done. And Cher was usually present at CBS six or seven days a week. Costume fittings sometimes took three and a half hours every Wednesday night. Wow, she really worked her butt off. 
Donna, she, well, she worked so hard by that by the time she was in her 50s, she had adrenal fatigue. Like she just, oh. she had adrenal burnout. No way. And um, like chronic fatigue because she pushed it so hard. 100%. Donna Schumann, the executive producer's assistant, said Cher was always very low-key. She treated everyone associated with the show equally with a great deal of respect. I also found her to be decent, honorable, loyal, sensitive, caring, direct, street smart, and dead-on honest. In the words of Old Blue Eyes, she really was a great broad. Oh, I love that. Raquel Welsh said that Cher was one of the most professional ladies she ever worked with, a sweetheart even under such tremendous pressure. Welch says, when I was taping the show, I really felt attached to everyone. They all really care about Cher. I'm so impressed impressed with her, and I had a really wonderful time working with her. Unfortunately, Raquel Welch's solo performance was cut by CBS, and that caused tension between the two friends. Cher was basically like, you guys have ruined my friendship with her because of this. Oh, that sucks. And It's not her fault. Exactly. So we have a clip with Raquel here and it's pretty cute so you ready to see it yeah please (laughs) Mm. Mm. you look pretty ready to me almost but after all I can wash out 44 pairs of socks and have them hanging out on the line I can starch and iron two dozen shirts before you can count from one to nine I can scoop up a great big dipper full of lard from the drippings can. Throw it in the skillet, go out and do my shopping, be back before it melts in the pan. Cause I'm a woman, W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. I can rub and scrub this house till it's shining just like a dime. Beat the baby, grease the car, and powder my face at the same time. I can get all dressed up, go out and swing till 4 a.m. And then lay down at 5, jump up at 6, and start all over again. Cause I'm a woman, W-O-M-A-N. I'll say it again. If you come to me sickly, you know that I'm gonna make you well. Another great one. Is that the one that they cut from the TV show? No, Raquel did a totally solo one. And she really wanted that to air. And that didn't make the cut. That's a duet. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, my goodness. That was so good. Those outfits, again, like both of them, the attitude, uh, everything is so good. It's so good. Yep. And so you, you have to watch them. They're just... They're iconic. It's a time. And you can tell that they're like taking the piss. Like I can do this and I can do this because I'm a woman. Like it's, it's girl power. Yeah. And I love that she wanted other women who were the same age and, you know, in the same, there's no competition here. It's all about being together and showing off your talents. There's room for everyone. Yeah, they were certainly showing off something in those. <laughs> Woo mama. Wow. Another great performance to watch is Cher and Tina Turner doing Shame, Shame, Shame. That one's great. I have the, seen that one. The book goes on to talk about many guests, sketches, musical numbers. So if you want to get into details, read this book because it's just like doesn't seem that like the Wikipedia page could be better. 
basically. Yeah. There were 29 shows. They finished with a Christmas special. Cher completed 29 monologues, 26 solo musical numbers, five solo concerts and medleys, seven choreographed music and dance numbers, 59 duets, and 117 comedy sketches. Holy crap. Uh, Other guests I didn't... I know. It's an unreal. Other guests I didn't mention were the Jackson 5, Flip Wilson, Greg Allman, Carol Burnett, and David Bowie. Do you remember when I said Cher was never really known as a good dancer? Mm-hmm. That's really evident when you watch the video where she performs with the Jackson 5. <laughs> yeah, they're real performers, huh? It's hilarious, but also really cute. Like, she can't keep up with them, but she looks like she's still having a blast. Cool. I'll check that out after. Cher finished the season ranked first among variety shows and 22nd among all programs with a 21.3 average household share. I don't know what that means anymore, but... She also received the most fan mail of any CBS program at any time. Wow. The show ended quite abruptly. They didn't know the Christmas special was going to be the last one until it was. This could have been for a variety of reasons. One could have been that the show was too varied. One week having Gene Stapleton and then one week having Greg Allman and a rock band. Bob Mackie said viewers were never quite sure what they were going to see when they tuned in. And that wasn't a good thing. Hmm. Lisa Robinson, a writer for Cream Magazine, wrote, On her own, Cher was becoming a truly interesting performer and really good comedian. Sexy, fascinating. It's always interesting to see how she copes and where she fits. The fact remains that Cher was the closest thing to rock regularly broadcast on primetime TV. Yeah. After CBS saw the success of Cher, they thought it would be a good idea to get Sonny and Cher back together. Ah, Yeah. So they reunited professionally and went on to do a Sunny and Cher reunion tour of sorts. They revived Sunny and Cher, and the show lasted only one and a half seasons, which ended in 1977. Hmm. The book gets into the creative partnership between Greg and Cher, which is a wild pairing that we love and hate to see. It's all there, but that's maybe an episode for another time. Yeah. And... Yeah, I thought that this period in Cher's life was really a triumph. And Absolutely. since there's not a ton out there about it, I thought it would be yeah, a good time for people to go back, see the show, how ahead of its time it was, and what a legend Cher really is. For sure. It's interesting. This actually reminded me a bit about Barbara Streisand because like Cher, Barbara she's known for this amazing singing voice, but she never wanted to be a singer. She always just wanted to be an actress. Like that was the end goal. And it just happened that she realized that utilizing this other talent that she had was the gateway into like her main dream. Right. Because how successful did Cher end up in her movie career? Yeah. Once the eighties hit, she was in one amazing film after the next and winning awards and winning academy awards yeah so for what the first movie that she was in who was in it anyway Cher went to the theater when she knew that the trailer for it was going to be up and it showed all of the different actors names oh I know what you're talking about it's probably Silkwood yeah Kurt Russell yes Meryl Streep yes Yes, exactly. So people laughed at her. 
because they just didn't see her as that yet. But it really didn't take them long enough to. And that was another thing that the documentary was like, they wouldn't have let her like nobody wanted to accept her easily at first as like a serious actor. But then she basically went in there. She's like, fine, I'll prove it to you. Exactly. And then we know that she's just been on her rocket ship that whole time. But I thought that we could just finish with a duet with Cher and Greg Allman. Awesome. Yeah. Cher is such a brave, amazing woman, too. Also to know that she was shy and everything to achieve all of her dreams. Like she really had to push herself. and Yeah. And that's what she says. Yeah. There's a lot of there's a lot of her speaking about never take no that's a dumb word especially women go after it go after what you want look she's perfect and she's made mistakes and she's admitted to not handling things well in the past but hopefully like coming around and learning from mistakes and all that so yeah she's not perfect but Hmm. damn she's an icon and i bow down super inspiration are you ready for this let's hear it My next guest is a very special member of the rock music scene. For the past two years, he was voted number one in the all-star rock and jazz poll. You know, he's got enough gold records to open up a chain of banks. He's also the lead singer in the great Allman Brothers Band. He's a guitarist, a composer, and he's really terrific. He's also a very good friend of mine, Mr. Greg Allman. outfit and that was like something else everything it's just a treat it's a treat for the eyes it's a treat for the ears and I think I'm definitely when we're kind of sitting around maybe like what should we put on while we eat or what do you want to watch tonight like let's watch 40 minutes of the like it's 40 minutes and you get everything in it shares watch shares variety show what else that's how I'm going to spend the rest of my night definitely gonna be checking all of them out okay great well that's it that's the episode this was great I love how you thought outside of the box and did something a little different I wasn't expecting this and yeah I had like unless you were alive then really I guess you don't really understand or realize the impact that that show had and all the amazing people that contributed to it so thank you so much for enlightening me and sharing all of that and sharing that (laughs) (laughs) well enjoy let me know which episode you like the best i don't know if it'll be easy to find them in order or whatever but just find what's online go with it thank you to whoever uploaded those yeah Uh, that was great that was fantastic thank you so much shanti and thanks for everyone who's listening you can check us out at all the regular places tiktok instagram facebook we're on stereo every tuesday and um, 
check our social medias for fun, exciting things that we're going to start doing on that as well. All right. Okay. That was perfect. All right. Links. All right, everybody. See you next week. Muses is researched, edited, and produced by us, Chantella Mew and Lynx O'Leary. Hello, friends. This is Mark Nell, executive producer of the Table Read podcast, where imagination meets performance. As we wrap up an incredible season one, we want to take a moment to express our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you who tuned in and supported us on this amazing journey. Season one was nothing short of extraordinary. We delved into captivating scripts that transported us to worlds beyond our imagination, thanks to the brilliant writers who delivered these works. But what really brought these stories to life were the talents of our amazing actors. But Wait, the excitement doesn't end there. As we bid farewell to season one, we are thrilled to announce the launch of season two. Get ready for more gripping narratives, more unforgettable characters, and more mesmerizing performances that will keep you on the edge of your seat. We have some big surprises coming. The Force will definitely be with you. So stay tuned, stay engaged, and most importantly, stay excited. From all of us at the Table Read Podcast, thank you. And let's make season two even more memorable together.